Good to see you here this evening. Uh, Why don't we pray for God's help as we come to his word tonight. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you will remind us today of the great privilege we have to come to you in prayer. Thank you for the incredible simplicity that you've given your people to come into your presence through and only because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, if you weren't at the big day out yesterday, you missed out. Next year, you must come. So make sure you put that in the diary. I don't even know what the date is, but block out the months around big day out and be there for next year. You know it's on a sad day if you have it next year, so block it out. If you didn't come, you missed out on something really great, which we don't have time to put up on the video again today, but it's the video of Fermi from our Bexley North congregation. Uh, I love the story of Fermi, and so I'm going to tell you again if you weren't there. Uh, if you were, you, you will hear it once again. But Fermi's from our Bexley North congregation. Uh, she came to church late in 2015, uh, saying, what's this all about? Just walked in the door. Now, Howard and Michelle found her and said, why don't we do Christianity Explained? And Fermi said, great idea. Why don't I bring along four of my favourite friends, and we'll all do it together. And that's sort of been the way that Fermi's worked ever since. She's brought along whatever friend she could find to come along on the journey with her. Uh, she heard the gospel, she repented and believed, she turned to Jesus, and it was great. And it was a great way for Howard and Michelle to sort of finish their serving at Bexley North for many years to see uh, Fermi and a couple of her friends become Christians tr- uh, through all of that. But the most exciting thing, that's an exciting thing, the most exciting thing for me last year was Fermi came and joined gospel teams with us. And she spent the whole year, and at the start of the year she said, I'm really nervous, I don't know how to pray, I don't know how to read the Bible, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to come. And I'm going to bring my friends. Once again, she brought all of her friends along. It's fantastic, we have this little Bible study group where she could come along. Uh, In fact, I can see Jamie here, she was with us last year as we went through that. At the end of the year, uh, I said to everyone, what's your highlight for the year? Now, Fermi's highlight was, I've learned to pray. I've learned to read the Bible. It's so great. I can do it on my own now. I never knew how. And she expressed that at the big day out in her video, and she continues to be really excited about that. Isn't that a great story? How God is at work in her life, and then she just keeps bringing other people and saying, well, you've got to come to church. You've come to my dry cleaning shop come to church. Why not? And and people come and others say no way. And uh, she's wonderful amongst us at Bexley North at 10.30. Now, I suspect if you've been a Christian for any length of time, her excitement at praying is not your excitement at praying. Don't we forget what a privilege it is? Uh, We sort of think it's just something we have a right to do. This privilege becomes familiar whatever, I get to walk into the presence of God, whatever, I get to pray to him through Jesus, whatever. Uh, Someone once described the prayer life to me kind of like a kid praying. If you can imagine a kid going up into God's presence, but getting to the doorway and sort of knocking on the door and hearing the thunder of God sort of walking to the door, coming across and then getting scared and running away and leaving just a few little requests on the doorstep. Please God help me in these ways. And out the door they go. When really, praying is this wonderful thing where we walk into the throne room of God and there is the Heavenly Father and Jesus at his right-hand side and he's saying, I'll listen to your prayers. You've come into my presence through Jesus. Pray, ask me anything. Such a little thing we think of it as and such a big thing that it is. So if it's such a great privilege, wouldn't it be great if Jesus could tell us how to do it? 
And he does, which is great. And that's what we're looking at today. We're looking at Jesus' instructions of how to pray. And now I've broken them down. I think there are 10 instructions for how we should pray in the way Jesus wants us to pray. And so we're going to step through those. We're going to do it as a countdown, 10 to 1. And that's not because I think that they're particularly ordered that way. It's just because it's more exciting. Let's go from 10 down to 1 when we get to the end there. So open your Bibles, have it open to Matthew 6. You've probably still got it there in front of you. And we're going to start where we finished last week. So verse 5, have a look at it there. Jesus says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Why? Well, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners and to be seen by people. I assure you they've got their reward. So the Lord's Prayer that we're about to look at, it comes in contrast to that, to that hypocrisy, to that look-at-me style of prayer. I really liked Phil's acting last week. Who knew? Phil can act. Who would have thought? You know, sort of look, I'm going to do Phil. He came out here and he was like, and you've got to have your eyes sort of half open and you're going like this. And everyone, you can see everyone and they look at me, look, I'm about to pray, I'm a holy man. Dear Lord. You still looking? Good. Let's pray. That was, that was uh, Phil's acting last week. I thought I'd mock him for it. Do we make sure we've got an audience when we pray? Look at me, I'm about to pray. But Jesus says, that's not the way. Uh, you've got your reward. If you pray to be seen, you've got your reward. They saw you. You prayed, that's it. That's it for you. So if that's your motivation, paid in full. In contrast, verse 6. When you pray, this is to his disciples... Go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now Jesus' disciples, we're not motivated to pray by being seen. And that's because we know that the real power of prayer is is not us. It's our heavenly father. He hears wherever we are in our little private room, praying in our mind in the quietness of it. Wherever we are, nothing is hidden from God. He hears. Now we saw that last week and I should say that it doesn't mean we can't pray publicly. In fact, we pray publicly all the time, don't we? But it's the motivation with which we pray that is important. So let's have a look here at what these 10 steps are that Jesus tells us to pray. So from 10 to 1, at number 10, don't babble. Jesus says it there in verse 7. When you pray, don't babble like the idolaters, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. See, when it comes to praying, it's not about the quantity of words. It's not about repetition. It's not about that sincere and earnest tone that you can bring to your prayer. It's not about going on and on and on as if you can sort of wear God out. Eventually, he'll have to give in because you've prayed it so often. Jesus says in verse 7, idolaters babble. Idolaters go on and on and on. Idolaters imagine superficial prayer techniques can work with God. Jesus calls them idolaters because their God is themselves. They're saying, look at me, worship me, give me honour and glory. They want to be seen. But Jesus' disciples need not be like that. So have a look at verse 8 to see why. It's because your heavenly father already knows what you need. What he's saying is that disciples of Jesus have the privilege of relationship with God. God knows what we need. He's our father. 
He knows our needs and he listens. And that's why Christian prayer in particular is so different from the prayer of the world. If you've got friends who are in other religions, you might have seen this. Christians are considered as sort of lax in our prayer. It's just so easy. You can just do it at home. You can just do it directly with God. We don't have to go five times a day to pray. We don't have to learn mantras. We don't have to have special beads. We don't have to go on and on with all these different set practices because we have relationship with God. I don't know if you've ever had one of these friends that just talks incessantly. You've got one of them? Just always in your ear, talking and talking and talking. If you've got a friend like that, it's hard to be friends with them. But often, friends like that are actually, well, they're really insecure. They're not very self-aware. They don't know what's going on around them. But Jesus says, when you belong to the Father, you can be secure. You don't have to babble and go on and on and on and on. You're secure in your relationship with him. Which means we get to pray with direct freedom. It's so simple to pray as a Christian. You get to walk into the throne room of God and he will hear your prayers. That's incredible. With just simple words. So number 10, don't babble. Number 9, how do we start praying then? How do we start? Well, we say this, verse 9, our Father in heaven. Now that seems just too simple, doesn't it? Our Father in heaven. But it says a lot to pray this way. Remember back in verse 6 where Jesus said, go into your room and pray quietly? Even in private prayer, we're to pray our Father. Our Father. Because even in private prayer, you are not disconnected from God, nor disconnected with his people. God's kingdom is a family, and that's this relational dimension we've been talking about. We are all in the one Father. And so when you pray alone, you're not really alone. You're with all the fellowship of believers. And so even when you pray alone, you pray to that one Father. I think Jesus is signaling the kinds of prayers that we should pray when he says this. He's saying when we pray, we're praying about our Father's concerns, our Father's family plan. And this kind of family thinking helps us to see how wonderful it is, what a privilege it is to pray to our Heavenly Father in this family. It's a bit like, if you've got kids, you'll know this experience. It's a bit like when your kids are little. When your kids are little, they just can charge into your bedroom. They don't even think about it. Uh, When my kids were little, uh, we selfishly taught them to read numbers so that on the alarm clock they could see what time it was and they knew the numbers that had to come up before they could leave their bed. And this was great for people like us who struggled to get out of bed and didn't want them waking us up. Well, they'd come charging in. They became our alarm clock. I can't make the sound. It's not very, that's not the sound. It's more like, it's more like, like elephants charging into your bedroom and diving on. And suddenly there's this litter of children. When you've got twins, it's like a litter of children waking you up in the morning all around you. Now that's perfectly fine. They have the privilege to do that because they're my children. They can do that. Perfectly normal. It's great. I love it. I'm sad that they're sort of almost 15, the twins. It would be weird if they came running in and diving on it. It would probably hurt me if they did that now. But one day I forgot to lock the front door on our house. And a neighbour's child, a teenager, came walking in. I'd often walk them to the train station when I went to the train station. Came walking into our house, then into our bedroom to say, Jason, are you taking me to the train station? That is the weirdest thing, an outsider waking you up in your bed. (laughs) 
so weird. I'm not going to name that person, but some of you know that person. And you'll say, yes, I understand why they would do such a thing. Family members, we have a privilege to walk into the presence of God like that. We get to pray to our Father. Now, that doesn't mean we can't address our prayers in all sorts of creating and uh, creative and God-honoring ways. But here we see a pattern. We pray to the Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father. But we pray through the Son, through Jesus, and we pray by the Spirit. Now, sometimes people pray to Jesus, dear Jesus. And he is God, and it's not a terrible thing to pray to Jesus. But I think even Jesus would say, no, pray to the Father. I've opened the doorway for you to pray to the Father. And that's why we finish our prayers often in Jesus' name, because that's how we get to God. I don't think I've ever heard anyone pray to the Spirit. I'm sure someone prays to the Holy Spirit at times. But I think the Holy Spirit would say to us, no, 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 I'm pointing you to Jesus and I'm pointing you to the Father. Don't pray to me, pray to the Father. God is looking for us to come into his presence and pray and say, our Father in heaven, what a privilege. Well, step eight, what do we pray? Well, look there in verse nine. First thing we pray, your name be honoured as holy. Now we've said we have a privilege of going into God's presence, but we may never treat God as just a dad and be so familiar we forget who he is. For he is holy, he is distinct, he is unique, he is righteous, he is powerful, beyond all imagination, he is wise beyond comprehension, he is gracious more than we can possibly imagine. And Jesus tells us to honour him rightly, honour his name as holy. In fact, he tells us that everyone should do that. should pray that everyone would honour his name as holy. Never reducing God to a mate, someone you have a right to treat that way. If you're like me, and because you're human, you are like me, you're a forgiven sinner who trusts in Jesus, then if you still sin, this is really hard. Because it's not easy to pray this kind of thing with all sincerity, is it? It's not easy to say, God, your name be honoured as holy. You can feel a bit fake. You can know yourself and think, am I just kind of using special flowery language? You know, the hypocrites Jesus was talking to, they would have been great at this. Your name be honoured as holy. They would have said it wonderfully well. I think this command, as well as an instruction for what to pray, is a call to honest self-examination. Where are you truly up to? Can you name God as holy? Can you honour him that way truly? It takes a humble and contrite heart to say that nobody but our Father in heaven is holy. It's impossible to just pray that, I think, unless you know Jesus. You can't honour God unless you know Jesus. That's where it begins. If Jesus is not your saviour and you've been trying to honour God... Turn to Jesus. Let him open the way to honour God. Well, there's our challenge in step eight in honouring God. Step seven moves on to praying in line with God's purposes. Now, this sort of step seven and step six go together, but part A is step seven. Pray in line with God's plans and purposes. So verse 10, pray your kingdom come. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out. If you want God to say yes to your prayers... Pray what God wants. 
And what does God want? God wants his kingdom to fully come in. You remember that Jesus came saying, 4.17 in Matthew, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's God's agenda. He's bringing in his kingdom. Jesus will return and it will be fully revealed. So if you want a yes to your prayer, who doesn't want yes to your prayers? If you want a yes, pray, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come, Lord. Jesus, come back. But praying that is hard, isn't it? Because it means being on board with Jesus' plan, with his agenda for the world. And I suspect, once again, we're guilty of praying like children on this front, all of us. Maybe if you've, if you've done kids' ministry, if you've got kids, if you've been around kids, you've heard this kind of sort of kids' prayer. Our kids, will, they'll pray, Dear Heavenly Father, thanks for Jesus. And you know, you go, tick, that's great, they're learning. Let me grow up, though. I want to have more of my life before you come back. Uh, Lord, I want to fall in love. I want to get married one day. I want to have a successful career. I, I want to have lots of money to do whatever I want. I want to enjoy the good of your creation. And then when I'm old and I've had my fill and I'm surrounded by Christian family and friends everywhere I turn, then, Lord Jesus, come back to save me from the nursing home. Who wants to go to the nursing home, right? And if that doesn't suit you, Jesus, well, if you don't want to come back in that timing, come and make me die while I'm asleep and I'm 85 with all my family around me and I won't even notice. Amen. What a great prayer to pray. Except it's not God's plan. Surprising as it is to us at times, God is not about our fulfillment. He's not about us sucking the marrow out of life and having every happiness in this world. That's just not what he's on about. He has a much greater plan in Jesus. He wants Jesus to come back so that all of creation will be restored. He wants to make everything right. He wants justice to reign and sin and evil to be done with. He wants his people to glorify him when they see him truly as he is. If you think like that, how could you not pray, Jesus, come back. We want you to. We want your kingdom to come in. I think even as Jesus said this, he was just referring back to his previous point in his sermon where he said, blessed are those that mourn for they will be comforted. For people who mourn about the sin of this age who truly understand it, will pray, Jesus, come back. Come back now. It's too hard. People are too sinful. The world is too broken. I'm in too much pain and suffering. Lord Jesus, come right now. So if you want to pray and get a yes, pray in line with that. Step six, though, is related. Part B of praying in line with God's purposes. You pray, your kingdom come. Pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I think there is sort of a right way and a wrong way to respond to this way to pray. Uh, The wrong way is really Christian moralism. Uh, The wrong way is that kind of well-meaning prayer, we often utter them, that says, Lord, please help our society to be nice. Lord, please help everybody to understand the goodness of your plan for marriage. Uh, Lord, please help people to be polite even, even when they disagree. Now, the reason this is wrong to pray is not because those are things that you might not want for your friends and family, but it's wrong if it forgets about sin, if it forgets that actually people are sinful, because what you're praying is, Lord, deal with sin without Jesus. 
they don't have to become Christians, I just want them to be nice so that everything's good for us. And how can that work? Why would Jesus come to save us from our sin if there's another way as simple as, Lord, please help them not to be sinful, to save them from sin? Of course he wouldn't do that. If we truly understand the nature of the world, if we mourn as we look at it with God's eyes, then we will say, actually, to pray that God's will is done on this world is to pray that everyone needs to know Jesus. Either Jesus comes back or everyone needs to know Jesus. And even if everyone knows Jesus, well then like you and I, we'll struggle with sin. We'll still fail at times in this world. If we want God to say yes to our prayers, we pray, come back Jesus and please everyone I know, become Christians. We need your help. Help me to be bold. Proclaim the gospel. Help World Mission to be successful. Help our missionaries to be uh, blessed in every single thing they do in Argentina, in the Philippines, in Mexico, wherever it is. Pray that Christ is preached everywhere if you want to pray like Jesus is talking about here because it's the only way that God's will will be done on earth. Now, of course, when I say this to unbelievers, when I talk about humans like this, the only way to be good is in Jesus, they always say to me, you're so negative about humans. Humans have so much potential. You're so negative. I I think I'm a realist, aren't I? I watch the news. I read the newspapers. I read history books occasionally. Not all that often, but sometimes I read a history book or two. Look at the world. That's realistic. We're never going to see a day when people are just nice to each other because of sin. That is not happening. But to my Christian brothers and sisters, I want to say, let's not be naive when we pray like this. Because there are many earthly causes to pray for. We pray for them a lot. We're going to pray for world peace. We're going to pray for the renewal of the environment. We're going to pray for the end of gender wars, for the end of sickness and suffering, and on and on it goes. But we must remember God has already answered this prayer. Yes, he said, Jesus is coming back. He's answered his prayer. He's sorted this out. Jesus is on his way. He's not going to solve all these ills now. So yes, we can pray for these things in our local circumstances and situations. But in the end, the answer is yes, when Jesus comes back. Let's not be naive about that. God's timing is to fix all things on his return. So pray, Lord Jesus, come back. Well, from step five, we sort of move to more personal issues of prayer. Number five from verse 11 says, give us today our daily bread. Jesus is saying, give us what we need today. Simple as that. Notice it's not give me all my desires. And it's not give me bread for the rest of the week. You know, I'm not comfortable just having bread for today. The rest of the week covers me. Or give me bread for the rest of the year or the rest of my life. Never let me be hungry. It's not that. It's give me my bread today. Now the Jews listening have the advantage that they were thinking, is he talking about manna? Is he talking about the bread in the desert? Is he talking about being dependent upon God day in, day out? Because that's the only food we're going to get. Depending upon God to provide. And when we have a day off and we aren't going to get bread on the Sabbath, well then let's pray that we get two days bread. And sure enough, that was what God did when they depended upon him. When they didn't, the bread became mouldy and unedible. We're to pray daily in dependence on God for every need. Now that doesn't mean you can't pray and about 
having security in the future. You can't apply godly wisdom. You can't save some money for the future. What it means is you have to pray with the reality before us. And that is everything is in God's hands. Everything is in God's hands. Food, clothing, shelter. We all take those for granted. Work, some of us don't have work and we don't take that for granted. The air we breathe. Everything we have comes by the grace of God. Your next heartbeat is only by the grace of God. He could say, no, that's the end of you. Stop. And you would be stopped. So we pray daily in dependence upon him for every single thing. That's our attitude. That's what Jesus is talking about there. Well, step four. Pray, verse 12, forgive us our debts, says Jesus. He's saying, ask for forgiveness when you pray. Lord, forgive me for my sin. Now, not because Jesus' death in the first place when you became a Christian wasn't enough to cover all of your sin. It certainly was. For all of your life, Jesus' death is sufficient. What he's wanting is the right response of repentance and godly sorrow and turning back when you sin to your maker and asking for forgiveness again because actually you want to live his way and you want his help to keep living his way. Now, step three carries on from step four. It's it's related there. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Now, this one, take and stand alone, is scary, right? You'll only be forgiven to the extent that you forgive others. Oops. How many times have you not been forgiving? What's Jesus actually saying here? Well, he goes on in verse 14 with a footnote. He drives it home and says, For if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, your Father will not forgive your wrongdoing. What is he saying? Now, this is where it's helpful to remember this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is a part of it. This is in the middle of it. And so Jesus has already done this kind of thing. He said before, murderers will go to hell. And by the way, you're all murderers. If you have hated anyone in your heart, you are a murderer. And he said to the religiously hypocritical, he said, you are called to a much higher standard than that. You've got to go to higher standards than the Pharisees and the scribes of the law. That's how far you've got to go. Similarly, he's saying here, don't be a hypocrite. Understand the true righteousness that God wants. And so if you're saved in Jesus, then you better reflect it. You can't pray the Lord's Prayer and say, thanks for forgiving me, God, and not be a forgiving person. You can't be hypocritical. Jesus is asking us to pray and be the kind of person that he is, full of grace, full of forgiveness. That's how we're to pray. Don't be a hypocrite. That's how the Lord's Prayer comes. Don't be a hypocrite. Well, step two, we're getting close to the big countdown to number one. Pray verse 13. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Step two addresses the reality that Jesus isn't back yet and Satan still has his schemes. Now, many Christians want to deny that spiritual reality, but but Satan has an agenda. He doesn't want you to be saved. In fact, he wants you to delight in sin. He wants you to see temptation and go down that path and go, yay for sin. That's his agenda. Jesus could come back and end this age of sin. We should pray for that, right? Get rid of all this age of sin. But God has a mission heart. 
There are people to be saved. And so we wait and we pray. It is right to pray, don't lead me into temptation. It is right to say, spare me the evils of sin and the devil's schemes. Uh, The foolish Christian will say, no, I can do this on my own. The godly Christian listens to Ephesians 6, where we're told, put on the full armor of God and pray. Pray at all times. Pray with every prayer and request. Stay alert in all this with perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray. Pray to say no to ungodliness. I wonder if you do. When you struggle with a sin, is the first thing you do, pray, Lord, don't lead me back into that temptation. Maybe that's the second thing. Lord, forgive me. Then don't lead me into the temptation. Is that what you pray? Or secretly, do you just leave it hanging because you kind of like that sin and wouldn't be bad if it came about again? Pray not to be led into that temptation. That's what Jesus says because that's what Jesus thinks righteousness is all about. Now, finally... Step one, we need a drum roll. No drum. This is terrible, as I've already discovered, so we're back over here. All right, drum roll. Actually, we shouldn't have a drum roll, should we? Because I've already said this number one is not that much more important than all the others. In fact, probably the first ones are more important. But anyway, we're at number one. And verse nine, number one, Jesus says, pray like this. What? That's not very resounding for number one. Jesus says, pray like this. But pray like this, verse 9, is so important. By the middle of the second century AD, uh, many Christians have this little book that was written about how you should be a Christian. And one of the things they did is they, they chanted the Lord's Prayer three times a day. They chanted the Lord's Prayer three times a day. Less than 100 years after Jesus said, don't be a hypocrite, don't turn it into meaningless religion, pray this way. Isn't that ironic? How quickly human sin takes over. Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer in contrast to that kind of showy religious hypocrisy. Now don't get me wrong, the Lord's Prayer is good, I'm glad it's in our prayer book, I'm glad we put it up on the screen and we pray it, we may even have it in the service today, do we, Troy? No, we don't. Okay, so no one has to feel bad about that. It's a good prayer. It's a wonderful prayer. We're told, pray like this. It doesn't say learn the Lord's Prayer off by heart so you can say it without meaning it. And it doesn't say chant it day after day and week after week in public and in private as if it's the only way to pray. It doesn't say rattle it off in church meaninglessly because you've done it a thousand other times. It says, pray like this. Pray it as a model. Pray the intention of the words. And that's why we've stepped through the steps today. What's the intention of the words? So where to pray? Not as hypocrites. Where to pray is people who know that God is holy and to honour him that way. Where to pray is people who want God's will done here in the whole world as it is done in heaven. Where to pray is people who want the perfect and righteous life that God desires for us. And we're to pray independence on God every single step of the way, even when we fail, asking for forgiveness and starting again. What a privilege it is to pray. This kind of prayer, what a privilege to pray these kind of things. What a privilege to walk into the throne room of God, not to leave your request at the door, but to walk through that door where the heavenly father is seated and Jesus at the right hand of him on the throne and to get to pray your requests. Jesus says, 
Listen to this and pray this way. May we learn to pray like Jesus says. May this be the kind of praying that characterizes our Christian lives. May we never be hypocrites. May we never take it for granted. Why don't we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we praise your name as holy. We thank you that Jesus will return to bring in your kingdom of righteousness and to deal with sin. We pray it will be soon, for this world is hard to live in as your people. And Father, we pray that all those that we know might hear the gospel. Use us to proclaim it. And we pray that you might use it to save them. And Father, when we sin, forgive us. And when we fail, help us to turn back to you. Give us what we need to live each sing- every single day. And we pray, Father, that we'll do it in dependence upon you and your mighty saving work for us in the Lord Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen.